When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the show, we're looking for a room with rats. It's a good sign. It means it's one of the warm ones. Welcome to Winds Howling, a companion podcast to the Witcher TV show on Netflix. We'll be diving deep into each episode of the show and exploring the larger context of the story from the games and novels. I'm Brett. And my name's Abu. Uh, hey, it's been so... How long has it been since we've spoken? <laughs> Feels like 10 we minutes. We took a five-minute break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little peek behind the production curtain. We're recording episode one and two back-to-back. There you go. So, yeah, <laughs> we, we had episode one, A Grain of Truth, and we're here with episode two, Care Morin, and I'm sure it'll be more of the same, right? <laughs> this has been... Based off of fan reactions online and some of the shit that I'm seeing on Reddit and Twitter, easily the most controversial episode of the whole season. And I have some very strong feelings about it. I'm going to do my best to keep those feelings in check because it's no fun to just come on mic and totally shit on a thing. But before we dive in, as always, let's get some quick, quick housekeeping out of the way. And to start off, a spoiler warning. Today's episode will be spoiler-free in terms of the TV show. We won't talk about future episodes, even though we have seen them. But there will be light spoilers from the books and the games and some light speculation from the larger Witcher universe, so just be aware of that. And as always, we do love to hear from you, so email us at windshowlingpodcast at gmail.com. Share your thoughts on this episode, on the whole season, If you have questions about the lore, we'd love to include them in these episodes. All of that, send it over to windshowlingpodcast at gmail.com, folks. And finally, like we do with the other deep dive episodes, we will start with a summary of the episode, then we'll dive into some key takeaways, some larger thematic takeaways, and wrap up with just some big picture overall thoughts on this episode. Let's do it, Brett. Let's go. So we open this episode on a dream sequence where Yennefer is pregnant and happily living with Geralt in this idyllic scene. The dream, unfortunately, quickly becomes a nightmare where we see this mysterious red-hooded figure, cradle catches fire, and this mysterious figure takes the baby from Yennefer. When, when, okay, this is going to peel back something on me. So for those that may not know, I I don't have any hair. I'm bald. I lost it in my mid-20s or so. The thing about it is I don't really care that much. Like, I'm over it. I I don't pine over, oh, no, I wish I had it. I really don't. I mean that. But every maybe six months or so, I'll have a dream in which I have, like, full head of hair, like I had in my mid-20s when I was in college. No way. When, When it was down, like, past my ears, you know, I had like a flat iron <laughs> that I would use. I had long hair. It's the mid-aughts. If you were, you know, I was 22 years old in 2006, you got long hair. Just look at Goblet of Fire, uh, the Harry Potter one. That's why they all have long hair there. That's what we did in 2005 or so, something like that. Totally. 
So I, I have this dream, which I have this hair. And in that moment, I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. <laughs> and then when I wake up, it's like, oh fuck, that felt so real. And so I'm kind of wondering if that's the thing with Yen here, if I can put myself in her shoes, where she's over it, but somewhere down there subconsciously, she's not. And then demented Little Red Riding Hood comes and takes it and uh, in the dream and kind of does. So that really hit me on a personal note. <laughs> wow. Wow. Brett, thank you so much for sharing that. I feel so privileged to know about this recurring hair dream that you have. <laughs> I amazing. hate having it because I'm telling like, in all honesty, I'm so over it. It's been over a decade and I've learned to be like, OK, you know, I can work my beard a little bit. But I have that dream and I wake up, I'm like, motherfuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, much like you, Yen also eventually wakes up and is whisked back to reality. And so we find out where Yen and Fringilla have ended up. They find themselves in dimeridium chains, chains made from a material that blocks magic in this universe. And we learn that they've been captured by the elves. And in this opening scene, Philavandrel a character that we know from the first season, takes Yen and Frangilla to Enid Alglena, who is more commonly known as Francesca Findebear, and she's referenced as Francesca in the show. And it's clear that Francesca is the one in charge of the elves. Unfortunately, Francesca in this moment is pissed off that Philavandrel would leave these humans alive. Why didn't he just hang them? Why would he bring them to her? And his response to that is, oh, well, they could be useful. Aren't we in human forests? Like, we could use them. Yen tries to pull the, uh, oh, but I'm a fourth elf. Like, you wouldn't harm one of your fellow elves, would you? And playing that card fails spectacularly. Francesca responds, quote, do you sing our songs? Do you honor our elders? Have you ever shed a tear for anything elven? You are no elf. End quote. So Francesca's not having any of this bullshit. We do get some important exposition in this scene that I want to call out. It appears that the elves are here in the forest near these ancient ruins digging for something important. And Francesca has been seeing visions of a white hooded figure. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, there's so much. <laughs> there's so much in here. These <laughs> visions between these three, you know, are, are going to be a thing. And it, the thing to me that stood out also was this is an introduction to the elves as a whole. Like we saw a bit of it with Dara in the first season. We obviously had it with Philavandrel in them. But now it's together. Now it's Francesca. She appears to be the leader now. We can kind of get it from that. She is a mage. And her character here is just vastly different from the books. So we can already just toss out anything about her from the books like it's from the get-go here is completely different because they're they don't have a home they're not really on the run so much as they're just displaced that's about right isn't it yeah and so we can't really look and be like oh they do this all do they do that so this is something new and then the visions that are going to be coming quickly are also new and yeah so we're we're strapping into this and yeah they're they're really hitting the ground running after that first episode. Right, right. A lot of show creations and a lot of changes from the source material. Francesca, like you said, is pretty unrecognizable as her character from the book here. And they're and they're really hitting it over the head. I'm not going to say heavy-handed yet, 
that the elves are, they're just very poor off. Like they don't have a home. They don't have anything to eat here. She has to make this magical, like frothy, milky liquid to be something because they don't have any meat. What does so, that taste like? Well, I mean, she was like, well, it probably didn't taste great, but it'll, you know, be sufficient for no meat. Right, right. In the following scene, we rejoin Siri and Geralt. They have left the manor. They have left Novellan behind and have finally arrived at Kermorin. As they enter Kermorin, we see some monster bones in the courtyard and the keep is very worn down. The walls are crumbling. It is shoddily kept. And this, of course, is yet again another nod to Nightmare of the Wolf, the anime prequel movie that shows us the sack of Kermorin and how it came under attack by humans and monsters. Hence the bones, hence the keep is falling apart. Yeah, and it goes to, to mention here that this episode was written by Bo DeMeo, or Bo DeMeo, who also wrote Nightmare of the Wolf. So a little synergy there in the WCU. There you go. Witcher Cinematic Universe, baby. I'm dropping it every episode now. <laughs> We're making it a thing. Yeah. So Geralt and Siri enter the keep, and Geralt is welcomed by... His fellow Witcher brothers, we see Witchers of all shapes and sizes, except no female Witchers, all boys. As they drink and share stories, Eskel makes a grand entrance, and he tells everybody very loudly about this Leshy that he fought for six whole hours. He's even got a Leshy arm in his bag. And Vesemir gives him some grief. I did like this. This was funny. He gives him some grief for not remembering his training. Vesemir, of course, is the one that trained most of the people in this room. Quote, fire through the heart is the only thing that puts one down. Six hours in and that didn't occur to you? End quote. And everyone gets a good chuckle out of this, including Siri. And in this moment, Eskel notices Siri for the first time. And he walks right up to her and is rude as fuck. He's like, who the hell are you? And she introduces herself, very much like a princess. Quote, Princess Cirilla of Sintra, pleasure to meet you. Hands quote. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick my nit right here. And not really. But as she does it, one thing that I love about Siri is her full name. And it's just this very elegant. And it's also a way to start name dropping some things that may or may not be important. But yeah, as she says that, I just, I don't know. Again, it's not a big deal. But if it just would have been Princess Cyrilla Fiona Ellen Rhiannon of Sintra and just like give that whole name to be like, I'm a fucking princess here and here's my full name, you know, pleasure to meet you. So again, it's very nitpicky. It's not that big a deal, but I do like it. I do like to use her whole name when it's something very forceful, I guess you can say, or something, you know, kind of putting it back in this place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's exactly what she's doing here, is responding with, bro, I'm a princess. <laughs> and she's showing she's not going to be intimidated by him. Exactly. We get the title card, and after that title card, we join Geralt, who is out in the courtyard at Kerborin training on those wooden pole things. I don't know if they ever had a name in the books or in the video games. And Vesemir comes out and confronts Geralt about Siri, about the law of surprise. And it's clear that Vesemir is like half annoyed with the whole situation and half genuinely concerned about both Geralt and Siri. Meanwhile, Siri is down in the keep 
going from room to room to room, trying to look for a half-decent one to claim as her own, because she's going to be bunkering down here for the winter with the witchers. Eskel runs into her in the hallway here, and once again takes the opportunity to just unnecessarily be a giant asshole to her. I did see someone on Reddit, I believe, make the claim that perhaps it's the wound that he got fighting the Leshy that is making Eskel act so out of character and act like an asshole, but I don't know that I fully believe that theory. What do you think, Brett? First off, stay off Reddit. <laughs> That's my first thing. <laughs> that is great advice, yeah. <laughs> I literally, I'll just straight up say this. I unfollowed the Netflix Witcher sub because I just could not stand all the gatekeepers. And I'm saying this as someone with multiple podcasts who's done book, who's done all of that. Like, I'm a big a nerd as this as anybody. But there's so many people now, and I'm just going to get this out here, and I'll leave this up to you whether you want to cut it or not. <laughs> if you are out <laughs> oh, I'm there, keeping it. if you are so beholden to the books and you love them so much and you don't like what they're doing with the show, stop watching. The books are different. Those books will always be there. I'm holding one right now. I'm holding up the last book. Probably nothing from this last book is going to be what's in this show. But if I don't like it, I can go back to this book and I can read it mm -hmm. and it'll still be there and it'll still be great. And so with stuff like that, just get over that this is going to be something different. And especially, especially this episode. So there's my little PSA slash rants because another thing, it. well, another thing that comes down to is this, and I'll say this first and foremost, we have been so changed and biased by the games in regards to these witchers to Vesemir, Eskel, and Lambert. Absolutely. Eskel is, oh my God, from the books, these characters are in like two or three chapters. That is it, okay? It's not a spoiler, all right? What happens at Kaer Morin with Ciri and them, that's it. Those three never come back. They are so insignificant to the story as a whole. They are just significant to Ciri being, you know, at Kaer Morin. But this goes to Eskel from the games, it's not like Eskel from the books, but people are complaining that, oh, why is Eskel like this? Vesemir, okay? I want to ask you this too. What do you think of Vesemir? Because Vesemir from the games, oh, this overly grandpa guy, he's just this. That's not what I got from the books. This Vesemir here is much more like the books than the games, but I find myself almost not liking him because I like the one in the games more because he was like this old Papa Ves. So I don't, what do you think about that? I'm with you in regards to the game has very much tainted my view on a lot of these characters. Tainted is the wrong word. That's too strong a word. It has affected my views on these characters, even in the books. Yeah. Because you're yeah. correct that the game characters are not the book characters. And even the games are an adaptation of the source material. The books are the source material, the, the original canon, right? We know the games are not even considered canon. And... Yeah, I'm with you. I found myself not liking Vesemir in this episode because I'm much more attached to the Vesemir in the game. And it's just my attachment to the games that is getting in the way of me enjoying that. Eskel, I think, is a different situation. In the books, Eskel is also much more mature. He's very kind to Ciri from the onset. He is the counterpart to Geralt. Like Geralt is seen as sort of the big brother in the room for all of these younger witchers. Eskel is also one of the more mature, experienced witchers 
who is very brotherly alongside Geralt. They're they're like the two older siblings among all the witchers. That vibe has totally been changed in this episode. Eskel is like this frat boy douchebag in this episode. And that I do have issue with because I think not even taking the game into account, Eskel's character has entirely been botched in this adaptation from, from my point of view. Okay, see, I actually think Lambert is the frat boy douchebag in the show. I mean, to be fair, a lot of the witchers are portrayed as like this frat boy douchebag. You know, you're right. And it it also, we should also (laughs) say that, you know, in the books, it's just those four witchers there. Yes. And to me, it's funny because you're talking about Eskel and all that. And I'm looking at Lambert and I don't like the way they did his character. I don't like it at all. (laughs) Because in, in Lambert in the games, I thought was actually pretty good to Lambert in the books. In the fact that he's just kind of a dick, like Lambert, Lambert, what a prick. Like he, right. he's just a little bit of a prick. Like he's not an asshole. He's not going around like shoving people into corn. He's not a bully, but him here, he's telling these jokes and he's all right. And it's just, I, I tell you what, I really like the actor. I think his name is Paul Bouillon or something like that, man. He did so many interviews. Seems like a great dude. I really enjoy him, but I could not stand Lambert's character in the show. And I'm not going to lie kind of hoping they killed him off <laughs> because <laughs> if they were going to no, do with it you. To, i'm with you yeah and so i just it, again maybe we're bearing the lead but i don't i don't dislike this episode as much as others because like i've said before in my little rant i've detached this into something on its own i can look at it on its own but i just did not find the witchers or care more and enjoyable to be at like we talked about how we wanted them to expand the role of the witchers and then when I saw there were a lot of them, I'm like, oh, I wasn't expecting that they'd have was like a dozen there or something. I was like, oh, OK, man, well, maybe they'll do something with it. Maybe they have like a big Witcher battle where they'll all do this. And it just the, the hitting of Kaer Morin and the Witchers, it just didn't land for me at all. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's continue with the summary and we'll circle back to some of our some of our issues with Kaer Morin because you touched on some things I want to talk about later. In the next scene. We are back with Yen and Fringilla, who are still very much captives of the elves, still have those dimeridium chains on them. And they realize that, wait a second, all three of us, all the sorceresses here, have been having very similar dreams of mysterious hooded figures. And they decide, hey, maybe this is a bargaining chip. This is something we can use to buy our freedom with Francesca. As we mentioned earlier, the elves are eating this like meager meal by the fire and Francesca does that frothy milk thing for her brother. We do learn a bit more about Francesca's character in the show. We learn that her mission is to find Dol Blathana. That's what the elves are out here doing. And she says, quote, we mustn't lose faith in a bright elven future. What has been need not always be, end quote. And I will say in an episode where I didn't like a lot of things, I really loved this quote. It resonated very strongly with me. And I can see why the elves have bought into Francesca's vision. Yeah, and it resonates to me even in real life because I'd love it as well because so many things don't get changed. You know, it's the way it's always been. Or, or well, what are we going to do? And you can just be like, yeah, what has been need not always be. It doesn't have to be that way in any facet of it because anytime there's a major societal change, you can always go back and look in newspapers or politicians or whatever 
saying, oh, that's never going to happen. This is just the way it is. And certain things now with 40-hour work week or five-day work week, there were times when people were like, it'll never be under 60. You're never going to go to five days. And so certain things like that can be changed. It just takes the will of something. And we're seeing that from the elves here that they're like, we don't got to take this shit too much more longer. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody hear that? Brett loves a four-day work week. Let's make it happen. It, I do think, <laughs> honestly, that that's that's the future. It's, it, yeah, it should be. A lot of other things before there, though. <laughs> right, true. So Yen and Frangilla here try to work their angles with Philavandrel, who has walked over to them, and they tell Philavandrel about this dream that they're having, the mysterious hooded figure, and they offer their support. Let us help. Let us talk to Francesca. Let's let us help you guys find what you're looking for. And Philavandrel seems to be swayed just a little bit and probably would have agreed to some sort of deal with them. But just at that moment, an elf in the distance announces that they have found something. But first, we jump back to Kaer Morin, where Geralt is studying this leshy arm that Esco brought in with him. And he is talking to Ciri. They're both in the laboratory in Kaer Morin. And Ciri is basically asking if Geralt intends to train her. She wants to learn how to fight so that she can kill the man with the black winged helmet, the man that she is having these nightmares about. And Geralt responds, again, I, I loved this quote as well and this entire sentiment from Geralt. Geralt says, quote, this is important. We don't kill out of fear. We kill to save lives, end quote. Again, we're seeing this relationship build up between Geralt and Ciri, and we are seeing him try to impart his experience, his lifetime as a witcher, impart some of that wisdom on her. But she's young. She has already seen too much for one lifetime. And uh, it's clear that she's, she's not really buying this quite yet. Before that conversation can continue, though, um, they hear something happening in the main hall. And uh, I won't be able to talk about this without raging. Brett, do you want to tell us what happens in the main hall in the next scene? Um, yeah, because, again, I'm, I'm not going to rage because I've taken my potions and I'm in a very stoic place right now. There you go. The commotion. Is, is that potion it, called, like, a few cans of beer? Yeah, no. <laughs> Whiskey only. <laughs> maybe, maybe a nice porter. Okay, I got some porter in there. That might not be that bad. There you go. <laughs> so it's a giant party in the main hall. The witchers have invited sex workers from a nearby town and they're drinking, partying. And um, yeah, because I, I kind of, again, got the feeling that this was like their hideout, kind of like a hideaway for the winter. And yeah, people haven't heard of it because they don't want people to know about it because it's the only safe space in the continent for them to go. So yeah, this was um this was another thing, and like I said, I've detached it. I'm, I'm gonna tell myself that, <laughs> but this is another thing too that it just is wildly out of character for all of them to be doing based on again the previous of what we have. Like we again, I knew, I said it before. We have to look at this as a blank slate, but it is such a wild deviation from what we've known that it's just hard for I think us or people like us to do it. Yeah, and. I recognize that I am having a much harder time disconnecting the books from the show, and that's where a lot of my feelings come from. I will say, though, to this point, the show is going against its own canon. Because last episode, Geralt tells Ciri, 
Yeah, you've never heard of Kaer Morin because we keep it secret. It was attacked once. So the show itself has established that Kaer Morin is a tightly guarded secret that the Witchers don't want getting out because they've been attacked once before. We've established this in the world of the show, taking everything that we know about the books out of it. It's still so wildly inaccurate to have the witchers throw this party where they're inviting these random women to their keep it, it it just completely rubbed me the wrong way and yes there's a part of me that's like oh this is so book inaccurate what the fuck is happening but there's also another part of me that is like wow the show is already like going against what it established itself looking at it purely from a show perspective I kind of half was half expecting Vesemir to just be like, what the fuck are y'all doing? Take this shit to town, which would <laughs> yeah. make sense if it was, hey, man, let's go out and party. You're going to go to this town. This town has to be close enough for all of these women to get there by. So it should have been very easy for them to go to it. But yeah, I just I don't know, like from everything else, it's just so hard to look at this and be like, oh, this makes sense. It just doesn't make any sense it doesn't anyway this scene wraps up Geralt walks over to Eskel and he's still fuming so he decides to, <laughs> to take it out on Eskel and you know he's very much giving off this eldest sibling vibe Eskel responds in a classic youngest sibling fashion and tries to punch Geralt because he's very drunk at this moment and he leaves the room with a huff with the woman that he was with at that moment and that's where the scene wraps up for now. These are not the Witcher bros I thought we were getting. No, not at all. Like I, wanted, all. I wanted to see, yes, I wanted to see just them, this small tight-knit group. Oh, here's Siri, and it's us. In, uh, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Well, back in the Elven ruins, Yen and Frangilla have met up with Francesca. Francesca has brought them down into whatever it is they have found in these ruins. And the three are discussing these visions that they're having. We learn that Francesca, in her visions, sees Ithlian, Frangilla sees Emir, and Yen decides not to share at this moment. <laughs> she doesn't feel like sharing. And after a little bit of discussion and arguing over the runes that are etched here in this statue of the Deathless Mother, the statue then moves and reveals a hidden door. And they all decide, okay, let's go down this hidden door and see what's up. The next scene then jumps Right back to Kaer Morin, where Vesemir and Ciri are having a bit of one-on-one -on -one time. And Vesemir is sharing old stories about witchers with her. In this scene, Vesemir also sort of sneakily tries to get more info about Sintra out of Ciri. We know that Ciri hasn't really opened up about her escape. She hasn't told the entire truth to Geralt. And so Vesemir's here trying to like probe, learn more, ask the right questions to learn more about Siri and her mysterious powers. But Siri does a pretty good job of deflecting and doesn't give him any answers. Meanwhile, Eskel is over in the laboratory where he has gone off with this woman from the Great Hall from the previous scene. And while the two start to uh, get down to business, we see his wound start to fester and a branch grow out of his wound, which to be fair, props to the prosthetics people and the makeup people. Looked real gross and creepy. It was a good job on that one. Yeah, this this is the first point where 
my eyebrows kind of really started to raise like, what the hell? Because <laughs> again, so much of this is how you experience watching the show. Most people out there, maybe they had some stuff spoiled or they watched it when it was released. But as we mentioned before, we got to see these early. And so I watched this episode at like midnight in a hotel room after having a couple of drinks and <laughs> like three or four days whiskey, before, yeah. yeah, three or four days before it was released. And as this stuff is happening, I'll especially hit on this by the end of the episode. I'm like, oh my God, I have to talk about this with somebody, but I knew you hadn't seen it yet. And I just, again, at this point I was like, oh man, like what is going on? And, uh, <laughs> that wave was about to hit me. So yeah, but this is when I first started to realize like, oh, this is something, something weird is fucking happening. Right. And the weirdness continues to roll out in this episode because we jump back to Yen and Fringilla and Francesca who have walked deeper into these elven ruins. The three of them then come across this hut in the woods and the hut turns around to face them and they are bathed in the bright lights from the windows of this hut. Yeah, and this is basically this hut kind of... It can come a little bit later, but yeah, this is like the Baba Yaga, as you explain it, this like Slavic folklore yeah. about this either woman or sometimes it's a trio of women. Hello, crones from The Witcher 3. And it's a hut with chicken legs is what this Slavic folklore is. So it's, they definitely get that from here. But I will say this. This was awesome. I love seeing it. They had this in the trailer, one of the trailers, I believe. Mm -hmm. And just I... Something like that is just really cool. Any kind of cabin in the woods with a witch or anything like that, I'm in. I don't care what it's about. I love just witches in the woods. Well, you're going to get it. <laughs> Put a pin in that thought. The witch is coming. We jump back to Kaer Morin in the next scene, and Geralt and Vesemir are having a little chat about Ciri, and Vesemir takes this moment to share some fatherly advice. I want to pick apart this scene more fully and talk about this theme of fatherhood in a takeaway later. So I'm going to breeze through this scene, not dive too deep. But during this conversation, suddenly everyone's medallions and the medallions that are hanging, hanging on the medallion tree start shaking ominously and the winters jump into action. I think we mentioned it in the Nightmare of the Wolf episode, but I do really love this fallen witcher medallion tree. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that was a great addition that kind of lets you know this history. So I just think this is something that's really cool to lay into this folklore of the witchers and let you know, wow, there were a lot before and there's not a lot now. I think it's an easy visual way to show just how many witchers have died. All right, let's go check in on Francesca, Yen, and Frangilla back at this hut. They are all deep in their own visions of this hooded figure. All three of them are basically offered the thing they most desire. For Francesca, it's a future for the elves. For Frangilla, it's some combination of power and freedom and autonomy. And for Yen, we'll talk about this more fully later, it's a reconnection with chaos because we learn in the final couple of scenes of this episode that Yennefer has lost her connection to chaos. She cannot use magic anymore. Francesca and Frangilla are told that in order to achieve the things they desire, they have to build an alliance between Nilfgaard and the elves. Yen, on the other hand, 
isn't offered any solutions. <laughs> and instead, the deathless mother tells her, quote, I'm going to let you bake some more. I want your desperation crisp. You will beg me to take it from you, and I will. End quote. Really ominous shit. Yeah, big Mephistopheles vibe from here. Very much making a deal with the devil. If you want to reach into next week, you can kind of draw that with like Gaunter from The Witcher 3. Yeah. That it's something in there. Yeah, where it's, hey, you want something? And again, Gaunter, again, is very Mephistopheles. This isn't saying they got it from there. This is a tale as old. And you can probably find it in a ton of other folklores. A Faustian legend, if you will. Faustian bargain is what it's called. And so we kind of get those vibes there. And yeah, this... At this stage, again, it's probably about 1240 in the morning as I'm watching it, <laughs> that first go around. I remember thinking, what the hell is going on? And I'm not going to lie. I still, still to this day, I'm not sure I can adequately explain exactly what all is happening now or the future. So you don't got to worry about spoilers because I don't fucking know anything. <laughs> yeah, honestly, the this is the episode where <laughs> the show is diverging so aggressively from the books that... Spoilers are honestly like a non-issue from here onwards. Yeah, and it's not just that, but we should also say, I think what made that first episode so good was how narrow it was that, you know, three-fourths of the episode, I think it's fair to say, was just at Novellan's Manor Yeah, with just Novellan, Geralt, Siri, and Verena. And it started, you didn't know anything, and it ended completely closed. Right here is no question. This is almost like, in a way, like a premiere because of how much we're getting, even though we're really only in two places again. And so, yeah, they're, they're, they're starting to branch out here. And yeah, all of this stuff is nothing from the books, which we'll see how they pull it all together. But as I've said before, I enjoy it because it's new. If everything that was happening in the books happened on the show, it'd be boring because we'd just be sitting here telling you, oh, yeah, this is going to happen. Oh, yeah, this is going to happen. Oh, yeah. This. Right. <laughs> there, would, there would be no analysis or even guesswork of it. So, you know, we're getting something new. And again, it's just art. So it's up to the viewer to decide whether they like it or not. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's talk about a huge new thing that the show introduces. <laughs> because okay. in the next scene, okay. uh, we, we you cut want to, me to Geralt. Say it? Do you want me? <laughs> can you even? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I Clearly, I can barely get this out. Yeah. Go ahead. Walk us through this next scene. I'm going to bury my head in my hands. So Geralt enters a laboratory or the laboratory. For fellow American <laughs> friends at Caremoran and battles the Leshy, which is actually Eskul. Okay. Uh, the CGI and everything is great. This, it just looked so ridiculous. I just, <laughs> it just, it just, it's so out there that I just, it just didn't get me. I didn't get it. I, I'm totally with you. And I think that this is the source. If we, if we were to pick just one thing in this episode that has made it the most controversial, it's Leshy Eskel. Yeah. Is the thing that has just made, has blown up on the internet. If Eskel would have been killed by the Leshian, like somehow this Leshian gets into Kaer Morin, that would have been perfectly fine. I get it. Again, for the people that have not read the books, they've only played the games. Eskel is a tiny, tiny character. He is on screen. Yeah. I'm sorry. He's on the page. For less than just about anybody, but because he's Geralt's oldest friend and because he's a Witcher and because of the Witcher 3, we tend to think of him bigger than what he is. But yeah, the whole morphing into, again, I just, it just, it just missed me. I agree. 
And again, like as someone who is having a harder time disconnecting the source material, it also just like just canonically doesn't make sense. I won't go on about it. But what did hit me and what I did like was Vesemir coming in and Geralt and Vesemir kind of fighting together with all these vines coming around. That was cool. I did like that. That was good. Yeah, I loved the back to back fight. And it's clear that in this scene, both of them are sort of pulling their punches, right? They're like, ah, this is Eskel. They're trying, trying not to, to kill, kill him, a yeah. fellow witcher. Yeah. Right, right. And they do end up basically uh, chaining him, restraining him with these chains and these hooks. Uh, but of course, this is a leshy. He's got branches on branches on branches. And one of them wraps themselves around Vesemir's neck and starts choking him. And Geralt has a decision to make. Watch Vesemir die or stab this Leshy in the heart. And of course, as we know, he uses what I assume is Igni on his blade to light it aflame and stabs Eskoleshi through the heart. I was going to save that for when you started going off about it, because I was going to say that was really cool too, that he kind of Beric Dondarians his sword. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he pulls a little lightning lord on his sword, and I'm like, that's badass too. Please do that I more often, it. Geralt. Swords on fire are fucking awesome. Always, objectively speaking. Especially, I agree. especially when yeah. they kill this abomination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Abomination indeed. So that's the end of Eskel Leshy. And in the next scene, we rejoin our sorceresses who are awakened from their visions. And we learn that Frangilla and Francesca have done exactly what the Deathless Mother told them to. They've decided to join forces and they will be heading to Sintra. But ultimately, what we can gather from this scene and these visions and this sort of B-plot with the sorceresses that's been running through this episode is that uh, apparently we're all okay just cutting deals with someone named the Deathless Mother. I'm just like, this is a huge red flag, y'all. What are we doing? It is, but I've never really lost anyone close to me. Fair. I've never had a loved one, a parent, or anything like that. My life has been pretty easy. This past year has been difficult, but it's not on the level of anything like this. And when I look at someone like Francesca, whose entire race and people are being obliterated and dying off, if someone offers you a way out, and not only that, but actually puts you in the moment of it, a dreamlike state that is realistic, like even more so than a dream, I don't think we can even judge what you would, what they would do in that situation. That's fair. It is their greatest desire, right? It's almost something that they wouldn't be able to turn down. The Deathless Mother is offering them the thing that they want deepest in their hearts. So you're right. You're right. They've suffered a lot. And the Deathless Mother is offering them a brighter future, just like Francesca was saying earlier. It's like that mirror in Harry Potter. I don't know the name of it. Yeah. The mirror of Erised. There you go. There's my Harry Potter geek coming out. Boom. Got it. All right. Let's wrap up the Care Morin storyline as well. After the Leshy fight, Geralt visits Ciri in her room, and the two share a relieved hug or touching moment. The witchers mourn Eskel. They hang his medallion up on the tree alongside all the rest of them. I don't know if you noticed, but shouts to that Witcher 3 medallion hanging in that shot. Yeah, I did. A lot of people did too, which is good. And so I guess that medallion is now canon in the show as well. (laughs) Hell yeah. A little bit of the games bleeding into the, into the show. It's not very practical in real life, but it does look really cool. It does look cool, yeah. Geralt then takes Siri out into the courtyard, and 
dun dun dun, hands her a training sword because this whole Leshy incident and his talks with Vesemir have convinced him that it's time for him to train her. It's time for Siri to learn how to fend for herself in this dangerous world. Meanwhile, Yen is running and stumbling through this rainy forest. She's yelling out spells in the Elder Speech, unable to cast anything. We see just how terrifying this is for her. The thing that has defined most of her life at this point, being a sorcerer, having the ability to tap into magic, has been stripped away from her. And the Deathless Mother didn't offer it back. The Deathless Mother has just left her to rot, to left her to suffer even further. And back in the courtyard, Geralt gives Ciri one final bit of advice as they start their training. He says, quote, This continent was meant for no one. All you have to do is keep your sword close and keep moving. End quote. And roll credits on episode two. So that's the summary for episode two. A lot to unpack there. But before we dive into our key takeaways, we're going to take a short break. So don't go anywhere, because after we come back, we're going to talk about some of the big themes of this episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back. And now let's get into our two key moments and takeaways. That's right. So first up, we got to unpack maybe the biggest theme in this episode, this idea of fatherhood. And I think the scene, the moment in this episode that sort of captures this best is the short conversation that Geralt and Vesemir have before the Leshy arrives. So I wanted to kind of dig a bit deeper into that conversation, pull some powerful quotes and unpack some of these themes because it's starting to become a big part of the show. This is also my favorite scene in this episode. So obviously the episode, even without Siri directly calling it out, draws a lot of parallels between Vesemir and Geralt's relationship as mentor slash father figure to Geralt now being the same for Siri. He is taking on this role of being her mentor slash father figure. And of course, as we know, fatherhood comes with a whole heap of responsibility. And in this conversation that Vesemir and Geralt have, he wants to know if Geralt is ready. Is he prepared to take on the responsibility of raising a child, of being a father? Because he is clearly seeing Geralt struggle. <laughs> and Geralt's like, ah, well, she's not doing what I said. I thought she would. Vesemir's response is something any parent could tell you. Quote, kids never do what you say. That's fatherhood advice number one from Papa Vez. 
Yeah. And this is going to be my biggest criticism of this episode, and it's still almost of the show, and I don't blame the creators or the writers for this. I think this is a Netflix thing. Again, pure speculation. I think Netflix is like, we need a monster in episode. We need an action scene, maybe to justify budget. I don't know. But it wasn't just how the Escaleshi thing went down. That should not have happened. That wasn't needed. That was 10 to 15 minutes of an episode that should have gone to Geralt and Vesemir together. A hundred percent. But so much of this, the action that they force into this show just for the sake of a monster is such a disservice. And it creates an episode like this that if you take that out and put in these moments, like you said, the fatherhood moments without having to beat it over the head because, hey, we've only got 27 minutes to do it. You know, OK, now we have like 45 minutes to do it. It would hit so much more and we would get that because I do not get that Geralt and Vesemir have a father son like relationship. I only know it because of the books and a little bit of Nightmare of the Wolf. So I'm not I'm just not buying it because there's just not enough time on screen for them. Wow. You you perfectly said exactly what I thought all throughout this episode. That whole leshy plotline, totally unnecessary. Spend more time on the quiet scenes like this between Geralt and Vesemir. Something I loved in this scene is Geralt even referencing Nightmare of the Wolf and the events of the sacking of Kaer Morin when Vesemir's like, hey, are you ready? And Geralt responds with, quote, you had a batch of mutated orphans with nowhere else to go. Were you ready? End quote. And Vesemir, of course, responds, no, which is true. I mean, he, much like Geralt, was almost thrust into this role of fatherhood before he was ready for it. And the reality is, is that can any of us really be ready for such a responsibility? That's not really something you can <laughs> be totally prepared for. Yeah. And I loved this moment of connection between the two that Vesemir also admitted, well, yeah, you're right, Carol. Like, I also fell into this role. I see you falling into it. Let me impart some advice on you. I thought it was a really great way to build this instant connection between the two characters and also to show us that reality of, of parenting and how both of them are ill-equipped to be fathers. <laughs> I mean, they're monster hunters. <laughs> Anyway, let's wrap up this first takeaway about fatherhood and this larger theme about taking on this responsibility. Something I wanted to briefly spend a minute or two on was this conversation between Geralt and Vesemir then turns to this idea where Geralt says, well, yeah, you took on this mantle of fatherhood, you took us orphans in, and you protected us. And Vesemir's response is, no, quote, I taught you how to fend for yourselves. This obviously leads to the conclusion of this episode where Geralt hands Ciri the training sword and decides he needs to train her. But this is also touching on this idea that in this brutal fantasy universe of the Witcher, fighting is surviving. You have to be able to fend yourself in a world like this. And for Ciri, that is doubly, triply true because of what she means in this universe and because of who she is and what she is and her powers. So as much as Geralt doesn't want to put Ciri in painful situations or have her undergo some of the brutal training that he himself endured 
as a child at Kaer Morin. The reality is that he has to. He has to teach her how to do this to defend herself and to survive in this world because Geralt cannot always be around to protect her in every situation. And I, again, this speaks to the writing. I loved that this through line was included and this larger theme of fatherhood and responsibility. And I loved seeing Geralt's character growth in this episode, him realizing the truth about this, that he needs to train Siri. Yeah, and it's perfect, again, to give it credit. You juxtapose this with the ending of last episode, where he's telling Siri, do what I say, I will protect you. And she's all, oh, I'm afraid, da, da, da. And she's very meek. And then at the end of this episode, he's literally like, it is my duty now to train you to defend yourself because one, you're capable of it. And two, something is after you and I don't know what, and I'm not always going to be here. Yeah, I loved it. That contrast with that first episode. So good. And I will say to wrap up this point about fatherhood and Siri and Geralt's relationship, all of my quibbles <laughs> with this episode aside and all of the major deviations from the source material aside, the thing that I am so, so, so grateful is still here is this budding father-daughter relationship between Geralt and Siri, because that is the beating heart of the Witcher, of the story, of the books, of the series as a whole. And I'm so glad that they are continuing to keep that central. If that relationship isn't handled correctly, this is no longer The Witcher. Like, to me at least, the story of The Witcher is the story of Geralt and Ciri's relationship. And I'm glad to see that that is represented in the show. Even in an episode that I greatly dislike, that is still there. The heart of the show is still there. And that's what keeps me coming back. Yeah, that's... That, that's that's the crux of it. And there's no question, again, even by the posters and everything. Right. Well, let's jump into our second big takeaway from this episode. And we have to talk, of course, here about Yen and how her tie to magic has been severed. And, of course, a key moment here for Yennefer is the conversation she has with the Deathless Mother in her vision. And there's a lot to pick apart here, so I wanted to take it one piece at a time, and get your thoughts on it, Brett. This young girl does start to taunt Yennefer. And Yennefer, unlike the other two, unlike Francesca and Frangilla, Yennefer is sort of pushing back on the Deathless Mother. But the young girl sort of sees right through Yennefer's posturing here and cuts to the heart of it, basically, and says, quote, you've felt it since Sodden, haven't you? Or rather... You haven't felt it, end quote. And thus we learn that Yen has lost her connection to chaos and lost the ability to use magic. She even has to undergo the old try and lift this rock lesson that she did way back in her earliest days at Eratusa, and she's unable to. And we see just how painful this is for Yennefer, how awful it is that she has lost this thing she's relied on for decades now. One of the biggest changes is... Yen losing her magic like that never happens anywhere else obviously magic to a mage is everything you think of a think of a witcher losing 90 percent of their quickness or 90 percent of their strength they kind of wouldn't be able to do anything the same way 
And this is the kind of changes that I'm okay with because it's like, oh man, I never thought about what that would happen. And it's putting her in this position of how important is this to you? And this is obviously going to be what she desires the most is to be powerful again because without magic, she is nobody. She's as normal as anybody else. And so that's again going to be something to look forward to because even by the end of this episode, she's still disconnected from the chaos, if they will. And yeah, these, this is the kind of stuff that I'm, I'm, I want to see them do. Yeah, I thought this was a bold decision. And uh, there is weirdly a lot of hate online. Again, I really should stop going on Reddit. But yeah. <laughs> a lot of people are like, oh, I hated this. I hated this. I didn't mind it. I appreciated this bold decision to give Yen something to fight for in this season, right? And so in this vision with the young girl who is continuing to taunt her, the deathless mother sees right through Yennefer and says probably the thing that Yennefer has been afraid to admit to herself all this time, ever since Sodden. Quote, what will she live for now? End quote. To your point, Brett, magic is everything to a sorcerer. Without it, what is she? What is her purpose? What does she have to live for? These are all very existential questions that Yen is undergoing at this moment. I was going to say, we left off season one with her saving Sodden. Like she kind of takes charge, if you will, over this defense of Sodden. She saves the day. Now she's a prisoner. And it's kind of hard right now, I think, for anybody to be like, oh, yeah, Yen is this, Yen is that. With what happened to her at Sodden and now being disconnected from magic. To say, oh yeah, she still has the same motivation as she did in the middle of the first season, I think is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. All right, let's wrap up this scene, Brett, and let's wrap up this takeaway. Francesca and Frangilla, as we talked about, are given these deals that they cut with the Deathless Mother, but Yen is left high and dry. And what I find most interesting about these three interactions is that Yen is the one that seemingly rejects the Deathless Mother the most right? Like Frangilla and Francesca are hesitant, but then eventually are like, okay, okay, let's talk. Let's make a deal. Like, what do we, what can you offer? They're much more open to the deathless mother than Yen is. She's immediately like, fuck right off. Like, don't talk to me. And I wonder if that's the deathless mother sort of being offended by that and choosing not to offer her any sort of solution. She wants Jennifer to beg I think it's also that Yen is the only one of those three that is on her way or can go back to somewhere where she may at least be a hero. Frangilla is going back a loser who literally could be executed for failure. And Francesca literally has nowhere to go. So she obviously would want to make the biggest deal because she has no other recourse. And so I just think Yen is just simply not that desperate. And the deathless mother is really leaning into her because she has to more. With Frangilla and Francesca, she can just be like, hey, do you want this? And they'll be like, yeah. Oh, oh well, that didn't take much. Well, give me this. As opposed <laughs> to Yen, it's just more or less. Yen is also much, again, I think even from the show, we can say that Yen is much more proud than those two. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And that's takeaway number two. Yen's big struggle this season, her big motivator in trying to reconnect with chaos. Let's wrap today up. Another long episode, Brett. Let's wrap up with big picture overall thoughts. I've said a lot about episode two. I think people already know where I fall, but what's your assessment? 
the most controversial episode of the season. What did you think? No, yeah, I think we've covered it in the wrap up. I, I see what you've written down. And I didn't put anything because it's like, well, that that hits it. And I knew we'd cover it all anyway because we couldn't contain ourselves. But again, understand where people have their issues with it. I just don't care to hear anybody's issues if it's just, well, in the books they did, in the books they did, in the books, it doesn't matter. Okay. Like it should not be used again to penalize it because it's something different. Now, if they completely change major characterizations, or if certain major events aren't there, then I can understand it if it's not replaced in anything else. I do think this episode is getting more hate because it's on the backs of the first episode that was so good. And that first one raised that bar. It was so good. And then, boom, you get to this. And it's like, oh, man. And so just right out of the gate for these first two episodes, we're seeing as good as it can get with changes. And we're seeing, honestly, probably as bad as it can get. But like I said, I think a lot of the stuff I've said, I think holds more water than just, oh, Eskel this, Eskel that. Eskel is not a main character. There's going to be other things I think that we can complain about. And our complaints about the lack of characterization or lack of development of the father-son relationship of Geralt and Vesemir, to me, that's a valid criticism that they did the Eskel-Leshen thing to have less of that, I think is valid as opposed to just oh, no, they killed my boy Eskel. That's, to me, that's just fucking weak. Like, complain about a theme, complain about people not getting developed rather than your two-chapter character being killed off. Hell yeah, Brett, go off. I love it. <laughs> We've been recording for like three or four straight hours. I'm getting cranky. <laughs> right. He's getting cranky, folks. No, I agree for the most part with you. There are some valid criticisms of this episode, and then there is some just unnecessary hate for this episode and obviously everyone is entitled to their opinion we're not here to tell anyone that they're wrong or right art speaks to people in different ways but personally speaking the part where i actually do disagree with you brett and i'm gonna sort of diverge on is i think it is valid criticism to compare the show to the book because the show has been sold and has been marketed as an adaptation of the source material and while adaptations, of course, need to differ, need to evolve, need to adapt to the medium, they're still, in my view, beholden to the thing they're adapting, to the larger themes and to the characters and the arcs of the original works, if you are trying to adapt a work. And so I do agree with a lot of the criticism online that what took place in this episode a, doesn't happen in the books and wouldn't happen in the books because so much of it is in stark contrast to the established lore of the characters and the world and the themes that are already in place. So that, that's where, that's where my, my main criticism comes in, is if you are going to sell this as an adaptation of a thing, you are actively doing the opposite of what is represented in that thing. We talked about Kaer Morin being a secret place. Why are you throwing a party? Eskel is the opposite of what he was even in the books, taking the games out of it. Okay, so again, maybe I wasn't as clear. If you want to complain about something from the books, it's all about characterization. And if you want to have a talk about Kair and his character and his story in relation to it, absolutely, because he was a pretty major character. 
But to talk about and get all upset about Eskel and Kerr Morin, which are in the books, Sapkowski thought they were so important, he had them there for like three chapters of the first novel. (laughs) I'm being serious, though. This is what I'm talking about. These games have screwed up people's thoughts on this so much that they were barely there. Kerr Morin and Eskel were there to introduce Siri to witching or being a witcher, if you will. Eskel was there to help train and give some kind of background that, hey, look, Geralt does have an older friend. He was such a good friend, he fucking never saw him again and didn't help Geralt <laughs> on this journey that he's about to have seven seasons of, okay? That, never even sent him a birthday card. But that's what I'm talking about. Like, there are characters where it's changed a ton. Fringil is another big one, too. Fringil and Kyre and Nilfgaard as a whole are so different from the books that is something I'll understand people going, why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? 100%. But again, to pick up on, to reiterate, Eskel and Kermor and all that, Sapkowski didn't think they were that important, so why the hell should I? Yeah. And I think that perspective, I appreciate you saying, Brett. I fully admit that my views are affected a lot by the games. I spent dozens of hours in Kermorin. And that perspective, what you pointed out, Brett, that in reality, in the books, in the actual canon source material, these, uh, in the larger scope of it all, are just a few chapters and relatively minor characters that serve not huge purposes. Uh, so that I do agree with you on. And I think that perspective is important for people like myself and a lot of people online who are uh, just sort of really bombarding this episode. And, uh, you know, I, I still ultimately thought it was a weak episode, even as a standalone. We talked about the issue with the Leshy and not spending more time on character moments. But overall, I think the problem is that the bar was set so high in the first episode and it was so good that this episode two had a lot to live up to. And it simply didn't. Yeah. And, and the good news is I do think it continues to be the weakest episode. Yes. Yep. It is only uphill from here, which is always a good sign. (laughs) Well, Brett, podcasts are podcasts. Lesser, greater, middling, they're all the same. But we've completed our contract, and it's time to collect our reward. So leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the path.